The Unpulse Podcast is produced by Abacus Data in partnership with Summa Strategies and Spark Advocacy. The show is available on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher, so make sure to subscribe for the latest updates. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to the ninth and likely last episode of the On Pulse podcast. Say it isn't so. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. As always, that was Bruce Anderson, uh, who preempted himself as one of our featured guests for today. Uh, to the disappointment of guest host Kristen Wilton fans, my name is Ihor Kurbabich, researcher with Abacus Data and back to host this week. On Pulse is a research collaboration between polling company Abacus and partner agencies Summa Strategies and Spark Advocacy. It is built up around a tracking survey we've launched about the Ontario election, where we take a deep dive into some of the dynamics of how the public is reacting to the 2018 campaign. You can find out more about that and posts on our latest polling and analysis at www dot onpulse.ca. Today uh, we are joined by a very special guest, uh, which we've kind of preempted a little bit. And no, it's not Tim Powers again. We've given him too much oxygen already. Very special One, guy, though. <laughs> very special guy, uh, though a lot of fun to have on the show. One of Canada's most respected pollsters and leading commentator on public opinion and political affairs and former member of the CBC's at issue panel. That's Bruce Anderson, again, chairman of Abacus Data, as high caliber as it will get for us and as low caliber as it gets for him. <laughs> <laughs> and our oft anticipated return guest, this podcast's proprietor, uh, only guy in the room with a PhD and Capital Magazine cover model, Dr. <laughs> David Coletto, CEO of Abacus Data. Thank you both for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Yor. I'll use this to kick off the conversation before we dive into some of the more general campaign dynamics and, and thoughts on how the race is going. Uh, Ford versus Ford litigation going to affect the end result? Well, it's going to affect some people. There's no question, I think. I mean, it, first of all, elections are getting more bizarre every time out. The last several elections have all had things happen in them or around them that uh, that really kind of upset the ability of people like us to to really predict what's going to happen these days we know that there are folks who are this close to election day and they don't really know how they're going to vote they say that they have a leaning or an intention but we know how soft it is so i actually think there are some conservative voters who really haven't been comfortable with the ford choice mm -hmm who might read this story and say, maybe I'll just stay at home because I wasn't that enthused about it. That having been said, um, the shelf life of events in political coverage of campaigns these days sometimes is 10 minutes, sometimes it's right. less. Um, lots of things happen that you would think were going to have a bigger impact and then the ripple dissipates quickly. Yeah, I would agree with, with, with you, Bruce. I think, you know, there's probably a, a small number of voters who are inclined to vote conservative right now who really, and we see it in our data, who don't like Doug Ford, right? Who would would probably say he's not a very nice guy. He's 
not particularly bright, perhaps maybe he shouldn't be premier or maybe definitely shouldn't be premier. And the news yesterday may push them to a point where, and I've anecdotally, I, I think of my, I always think of my parents. They live in suburban Toronto. They're, you know, upper middle class. They're pretty well off. They're, they're almost retired. And my dad is a pretty, you know, he's built houses for a living. And early, early April, I was talking to him and he's like, I'm going to vote for Ford. And I'm like, why? I'm, I'm curious. And, and only yesterday I get a text from him saying, I can't do it anymore. Right. So it's, it's now that's one antidote and I'm not, I mean, we're researchers and we can't use one example and generalize it to everybody. But if that is what's percolating in people's minds, if it's pushing them over the edge, and they're reading about I it, and they're hearing to, about it. Uh, I, that's a really interesting point, David. I talked to two elected people. Uh, these are people who've been elected multiple elections, one local government and one at the federal level, both of whom have been doing a lot of canvassing in this campaign, neither of which uh, are part of the conservative party, but both of which have a lot of conservative voters in their constituencies. And in both cases, they described exactly the same thing to me, which is that they're conservative voters. These are not greater Toronto area ones. They're mm-hmm. different parts of rural Ontario. They said their conservative voters don't like that bro uh, machismo conservatism that Doug Ford represents. They're, they didn't like the Rob Ford idea, mm-hmm. and they don't like this. They're very conservative conservatives, and the style that he represents is something that just was rubbing them the wrong way. Now, it may not make them ready to vote NDP, but it may make it hard for them to go out and vote. And I think that's the X factor that um, when we look at the numbers and people say, well, with the concentration of vote that the Conservatives have, they're they're going to win this election and maybe win it big. That's the question mark in my mind, is how many of those Conservative votes are really propelled to the polls as opposed to they're kind of dragging themselves there. They're not sure they're doing the right thing, and they don't know what else to do. But um, maybe if there's something to watch on TV, they'll stay home. Right, and or I Netflix, think, I should say. I think you tweeted uh, the other day something to the effect of Christine Elliott with not much other context. Do you think if it were someone else, uh, the Tories? I think be, there's no doubt. I think yeah. the record of the Conservatives in Ontario in recent elections finding a way to lose elections that they were poised to win. Uh, has been really remarkable. It's part of what I describe as a series of bizarre and increasingly bizarre elections. Uh, in this particular instance, I really think that uh, people were so fed up with uh, with the Liberals. Basically, I think Kathleen Wynne and the Liberals over those years made the idea of good government look bad. And uh, people didn't want a radical change to the left. They just wanted better government. Mm-hmm. And um, the Conservatives, when I was a younger person in Ontario, that's what they offered as a brand. Uh, the big blue machine was mostly about competency and middle of the road, and we're not going to run with scissors. We're going to keep it uh, on the straight and narrow. And once the conservative movement starts to fragment into um, a religious conservatism, a social conservatism, a fiscal conservatism, a, a populist conservatism, that's when it gets hard for a lot of voters to congeal around it, and that's where the role of a leader is so, so vitally important. And I'm not saying that Christine Elliott was that inspiring leader. I, I think, you know, you could make quite the opposite case. But I'm not sure that Doug Ford is that person who's able to rally the various aspects of that movement together. I mean, th- consider this. Uh, I've, I've seen a few Doug Ford events and or, or tweets or, or advertising, and at every moment they use the term our modest and responsible plan. 
right? You don't say that over and over again if people believe you are a modest and responsible party or person. And if, if Christine Elliott or Carolyn Mulrooney were leading the party, they wouldn't have to likely say that because people would look at them and say they seem like modest, responsible people. And, and as a result, when 84% of the province wants to change their government, and as we wrote, are determined to change the government, that's a lesson of this yeah. election, uh, it's, 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 a, it's a shorter bridge to cross to say, I think someone like Christine Elliott fits better with the kind of province and the kind of view that I have. So, I like where you're going with that, David. I think that we just need to kind of remind ourselves how much less we hear the term Ford Nation with each and every passing day in this election campaign. Of course, we've got, as a backdrop for this, the most unusual political situation in the world in our lifetime with President Trump. Uh, what was it John Mulaney called him? The, the, the horse running loose in the hospital. It's a, it's a measure of the dysfunction of politics down there that people can look here and say, Hmm, you know, maybe there's something to edge and and punchy messages, but um, what happens if you elect somebody who's that unpredictable, who's maybe a bit unstable, who's dealing with a whole bunch of of demons of one sort or another? And that's why I think the um, the whole launch of Ford Nation as some sort of movement of the angry uh, against who knows exactly what or a combination of things felt a little bit more like Trump. Um, and with each passing day, I think we've been hearing less and less of that branding, and we've been seeing Doug Ford sitting at a at a table with uh, Christine Elliott and Caroline Mulroney. Right. Um, thoughts on Kathleen Wynne's exit overture on the weekend? I don't know if you spoke to your two elected uh, official friends uh, after that event. Uh, do we have any uh, impressions that it's going to change the dynamic in any way or, or do anything meaningful? Uh, for for liberal candidates' chances, you know, it's been it's such an unusual thing to see happen that um, everybody I talk to has a slightly different take mm -hmm. on it, and some have radically different takes on it. I guess my feeling is that um, she was doing what probably in her world felt like the right thing to do, and I say in her world, meaning she has caucus mates that she's been working with for years, who probably feel that. Um, this is maybe the only thing that might give them a hope of winning. I don't know whether it'll work or not. Um, I don't know whether those voters will actually be motivated to go out and support those local MPs. I don't think they'll be motivated to go out and vote liberal in order to, quote, keep the uh, whoever wins honest. I think there are probably some progressive voters who feel like she pulled her punch, that if she's truly a voice for progressive change in Ontario, that she probably should have said, if you can't vote for me, vote NDP. Um, that would have been really unheard of as a political leader, but we're starting from the, she did a pretty unheard of thing. Uh, what will happen to those liberal voters who just decide, well, she's let me, letting me make up my own mind, which is probably most of them. Uh, our data is pretty clear that if it's a choice between the conservatives for them or the liberals, they're disproportionately likely to go out and vote NDP if they go out and vote at all. And if they which I think is a big stretch that we in the uh, political observing business often overestimate their ability to strategically understand the dynamics within their own constituency, right? And, and so it's Hail Mary, it maybe changes the channel slightly, allows perhaps people to listen to Kathleen Wynne in a slightly different way than maybe they were before, but I, I think the, the we'll, 
we don't know until two days from now, but um, I, I don't think it's going to help a lot of liberal incumbents. So if we anticipate these events will have minimal impacts at most, um, or at least unknown impacts, is there anything that could um, conceivably happen in the campaign with two days left to go that would make any change whatsoever, anything that the PCs or NDP could do to put themselves in the lead in this dead heat? I don't say that I, I wouldn't say necessarily that I think that there are minimal impacts at best. I think they're unknown impacts. I think there are so many people who've been uncertain about Ford. Uh, there may be more now. I think there are so many people who've been thinking I used to vote liberal. Maybe I should do it again. Maybe I shouldn't. Um, and maybe the Ford story will make them think, you know what, I should go out and prevent him from being premier. One of the things that I haven't seen is a lot of passion for any of the choices, mm -hmm. though. And we could end up in a situation where folks like us have been paying a huge amount of attention to this race and assuming that turnout's going to be uh, reflective of all of the attention that we're paying to it. But this is a situation where a lot of voters don't know about Andrea Horwath. She's been around for a while. Has she really made an impact on people? Do people really see in the NDP platform something that they love? Probably not. They're probably not paying that much attention to it. Same thing is true for conservative voters. Um, what's the platform uh, beyond, Trump, uh, beyond Trump, beyond Ford? What is it that I'm voting for uh, if I vote for him or for the conservatives? And I think for the liberals, um, basically, you know, Kathleen Wynne said, you don't need to vote for us. Um, mm -hmm. We're not going to win. And the best that you can do is help us be a, a party after the election. Beyond the uncertainty of our data to measure or inability to measure this passion or this, 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 you know, you, you, you stick your finger in the air. And my sense is it doesn't feel like it felt in the final week of the 2015 election where, and this is perhaps the fault of the New Democrats for not either having the resources to close the deal or the ability to do it because maybe Horvath just can't get people excited. But there, I, I remember that ad right, that hope ad at the end of the, the Liberal campaign of, of Trudeau in that, that rally. And if you watch that, whether you, you know, if you're a conservative, you probably didn't get goosebumps. But for, for a typical Canadian who was hoping for change and optimism and something more positive, that pulled you to the polls. That, right, I don't sense anything right now out there that I'm seeing other than maybe fear of one or the other outcomes. Mm -hmm. pushing or pulling people yeah, out. Yeah, I think that's right. I think we've got a really unusual economic context as well where most people are saying the economy is not, not bad. It may not be great, but it's not bad. Uh, within that context, you have people kind of half wondering, if I choose the wrong government, will government make my cost of living higher or will it help me with the cost of living? If I choose another government, it's almost like the same uh, question that they're asking themselves but one gets asked about, will the conservatives actually cut my taxes? Will they reduce the kinds of things that add cost to my life? Will they, uh, Or will they end up not doing that, in which case I will have made a bad choice and the rich will be better off, but the average person won't be? And with the NDP, people are looking at it going, you know what, some of those ideas can help reduce the cost of education for me, reduce the cost of childcare, and those would be good things. But if they ended up running up debts and then eventually taxes, I wouldn't like that either. Uh, so there is a little bit of a backdrop of 
I don't know which solution is better for me if what I care about is the cost of living, especially for people living in major cities. Um, but that's far from saying people are uh, tortured by this ideological choice or they see platform edges that they're uh, afraid of or passionate about. Right. So we've we've done a lot of analysis. Um, no one's done any predicting or projecting or definitive takes on what's going to happen come election day. Uh, do we have one? Do we have thoughts on the nature of uh, projecting results itself? Well, yesterday I went back in time a little bit to the last U.S. presidential election, and I and I found the moment on the New York Times website when they posted on election day, several hours before Donald Trump became president or was elected president. Um, and they said at that moment that it was 85% probability that Hillary Clinton was going to be elected president. Probability forecasting in today's electoral context is really, really tough. It's not just tough because polling methodologies aren't quite as accurate as they used to be. There's a good, healthy debate about that. I happen to think that... Um, they can't be as accurate as they were when pretty much everybody was willing to answer a poll. Um, but I think the bigger challenge with the probability forecasting is turnout. Um, it's an X factor in every election campaign. Nobody knows how high or low it's going to be. Nobody knows exactly who's going to be motivated to go out and vote or not. And so we tend to kind of make either seasoned guesses about that or almost no guesses at all um, and neither of which are highly reliable and so they actually put in question um, the credibility of polling when we sort of get into the forecasting business um, and I sometimes think we only get tempted into doing it because uh, it kind of uh, shines our apple a little bit it makes us look like we're more authoritative and uh, I guess just as a citizen, the last thing I'll say about this, and David, I don't know if you feel the same way or differently, uh, but as a citizen, I don't know if voters need to hear from people like us about what is going to happen. I think it's enough if we tell them what we see happening and try to help shed some light on why it's happening rather than say, and in two days you're going to accomplish this outcome. Look, I get the, I get the math, and I know you get the math, behind these probabilities. The, the problem I have with them is, as you explained, how people consume them, right? If I, if I tell you you're, you know, the, the, our poll had a four-point New Democrat lead, even that's too close to call when you take into account sort of the, the, the error that comes into all of this stuff. If you look at the average of all the polls that have been coming out in the last few days, it's basically tied. If you look at that objectively, and you're a campaign manager or you're, you know, you're running any business or any organization in which the two key metrics are the exact same. How can you say that there's an 85% chance of one of that, of that outcome happening, given that? Now, it could be the case that there is an 85% chance, but to the voter, I think it looks like it's lopsided in one direction, when in reality, because of all the unknown variables that exist, which is why we say we're uncertain, Including momentum. Like, we don't know really whether there is no movement in the marketplace. We could have observed that on one weekend, mm -hmm. uh, lo and behold, a beautiful spring weekend in many parts of the province, that there might not have been that movement. But anybody that's been doing polls for long enough knows that if there's one kind of survey window that maybe you don't want to bet the farm on, it's a beautiful spring or summer weekend. 
Um, so maybe we got it right or everybody got it right. And maybe everybody got it a little bit wrong because who's at home answering those questions um, on any particular And at uh, the end of the time. day, though, what does it matter that two guys looking at a data set can say Doug Ford's going to win or Andrea Horvat's going to pull this out? I mean, stepping away from the data and talking more about what we do as for a living, mm-hmm. I've always felt that you know, there's probably no no industry in which the egos of the people at the top of these companies are any greater. And I want the opposite of that. I want us to take a step back and say, let's be more responsible. Let's stop being such, you know, macho kind of guys who have to call it right. Even though all the incentives are there to continue to remind people that if you did, that you did that. Yeah. It's, it's so not good, I think, for, for, for it's not good it's not responsible because we are overestimating the precision of the tools we're using. It's like there's a mouth race among pollsters sometimes to kind mm-hmm. of yell out the loudest about, here's what I think is going to happen or here's what I know is going to happen. And then after the election campaign, there's this kind of ridiculous parade of everybody going, look at how close we were to the actual result, usually where people kind of conceal a few things that maybe were a little bit blemishy along the way. I, I don't find that very helpful at all. And I remember my good friend Chantal Bear was telling me one time as we were approaching an election um, that she avoided making predictions um, for a very particular reason that I thought was interesting and that we should all bear in mind. She said that once you've said that you think something will happen, it makes it harder for you to be honest in assessing some change that might be occurring. And I think that's a really important thing for us. If we're intent on studying behavior and attitudes and change, um, then we should remember that the best that we can do is see what happens in a point in time and compare that to before, not project it forward. And with that piece of wisdom, I think we will close this off. Uh, We also happen to be out of time. Bruce, David, thank you so much for doing this. It was a great pleasure, Ewan. Thanks for coming, Bruce. And thanks to David Coletto for funding this venture and volunteering me to host. It's been a fun (laughs) stretch. Uh, Thanks also to you, our listeners, for tuning in. I'd also like to thank producer Riley Evans of Real Podcasting for all his hard work in the background. The show wouldn't have been possible without him. We've got more in store from Abacus Data in the coming weeks relating to podcasts, so continue to stay tuned here to our social channels and wherever you get your Abacus insights, mailing lists, David's Instagram account. Thanks again. Bye for now. (laughs) 